you know, then we have to be able to confront some really hard truths and, 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 oh, to get explicit about it, to be like, yeah, a lot of what we're doing right now is fucked up. Hi, I'm Clement Liu. Welcome again to Just Sustainability, curious conversations about sustainability, equity, and social justice. In the start of the second part of our conversation, Shine and I continued with our discussion about the importance of thinking about poop. More specifically, Sean began by pointing out that we need to be better about attending to sewer infrastructure, infrastructure that we tend to ignore because we don't like to talk about poop. In doing that, Sean also covered a ton of material about how sewer systems work in contemporary cities and identified some important disparities in regards to access to public sanitation. Finally, Sean noted that if we became more comfortable with our poop, we would likely become more comfortable with ourselves and our relationships with other people and the world more generally. Anyhow, here's what Sean said. Sewerage infrastructure is crumbling in a lot of our country, both water and wastewater infrastructure, and wastewater treatment plants need a lot of upgrades. So that's like the the most, the best thing to say about it is that um, a lot of wastewater treatment plants, this is really the best, also like are able to take the poop and pee that we flush down into the system and create beneficial fertilizer products that are clean and useful, um, generate methane gas even to power cities. Um, and, uh, and they keep us really healthy, which is like amazing. The downside of this is that it's an immense Rube Goldberg where eventually, where essentially we're putting our poop and pee into the water and then going through a, a really challenging process to get it all back out. And it's not only poop and pee, because once it goes into the sewer system, it's, you know, it's my soap from my shower and my shampoo and, um, and my Drano when my thing is backed up and like all the food particles and the stuff that people aren't supposed to throw down there. And, and, um, some cities have a separate system that manages rainwater, but if your system is the same, then it's like, well, A, that's its own problem because litter then is washing out directly into your water body mm. and oil and like, again, whatever else is poured on your street. Um, but if in the in the, the event of a combined sewer, that means that the plant is also handling those, those things that are coming in from the street. So, so while many wastewater treatment plants or resource recovery plants, as they're sometimes called, uh, mm-hmm. again, it's all about storytelling. Um, they, uh, they can generate energy and, and keep us safe and, and do this process. But especially once all the things are combined, it's, it's an enormous amount of work to get it out. And it's very expensive to do treatment at the level where folks who are concerned about that blissfully interconnected nature that are, that are bifurcate or like multifurcated system um, obscures from us, right? Like again, we that plumbing is replicated replicated in natural systems, in in oceans becoming rivers and streams and tributaries. You know, like they, there's it's it's no secret that that the earth looks like our bodies and our body looks like the earth. But when we put everything into these neat and tidy packages, we don't see that and we don't see anymore how we're all connected to these things. Mm-hmm. So part of the work for me is about opening that um, that door and helping people to to see almost with x-ray vision how we're intricately connected to everything that we do. Every dollar we spend, every action we take, you know, affects the broader system. Um, but in the case of sewering, again, like we don't necessarily know what's coming down our drain or where our poop and pee goes. And a lot of wastewater treatment plants 
are, are letting out an enormous amount of nitrogen and phosphorus into our waterways. And those are fertilizers um, that uh, we can otherwise be using on our farms um, instead of chemical-based fertilizers that we pull from the air in the case of nitrogen, which is a carbon-intensive process, or phosphorus from, um, from mining, uh, which is a non-renewable resource. We will, we will run out at some point and we have a glowing, a, a, a growing global population that needs food. And so this is a fertilizer source. And when we let it out into our waterways, we fertilize algae that grow and suck up all the oxygen and, and wind up killing those ecosystems through eutrophication where the fish, the fish can't breathe, uh, once the algae starts to decay and it nitrogenites. It's like, it's a whole nasty process. Um, that unfortunately has been codified into the right way of doing things for most places who, again, don't have the money to upgrade even if they wanted to. And it's not just the, the fertilizers, it's our pharmaceuticals that are coming out of our, our, our systems as well. So all of this could essentially be um, fixed, I, I would want to suggest, by a simpler system where we don't put the poop and pee into the water to begin with. Um, and that's that's hard for us to to do. It's hard infrastructurally, it's hard because of the taboos, and there are a lot of interim steps that include, you know, gray water systems where we can flush our toilets with our, um, the water we've already used in our homes, or um, we can irrigate right on site, um, especially in larger buildings. Uh, sorry, you're hearing a ding of a text okay. message coming through FaceTime. I don't know how to turn it off. I wish I knew how to turn it off. Um, anyway, uh, and, and also urine diversion, which is a really exciting technology where where even like you could have a toilet that looks just like yours today with a flush and we could flush the poop away um to deal with it on a centralized level at a at a, a plant um of some sort or um but the urine then would go into a separate location where it could be uh, more directly used as fertilizer and it has the bulk of the nitrogen and phosphorus and it has the bulk of the pharmaceuticals so being able to remove that really lightens the load for our wastewater treatment plants but this is also to say that the, one of the challenges of centralized goes back to that public health issue and that if anything were to happen, you're in Minnesota, you actually don't have, you have lagoons instead of a lot of the technology, which in some ways is better. But for folks with um, with a, a, a sort of factory style plant, you know, a hurricane, an earthquake that ruptures our sewer lines, like these are things that can make it so that we can't just flush and forget. And when that happens, how do we deal with, with the potential public health crises that that can cause very quickly? Um, and, and that we've seen in situations like Hurricane Katrina, you know, where people are, are living together in very close quarters, like I'm sure we're seeing at the border right now, um, in, in different places. Uh, so, so there are really big questions to ask about the future of how we work with these resources, but, um, in a, not like even to really get to how that public health emergency for many people around the world, for 40% of the world is, is still ongoing because they don't have sewage systems and they don't have non-sewage systems that are keeping that poop where it needs to be. So um, in in lots of countries in the global majority uh, and for people in the global majority and like populations who don't have housing in our cities, people in Appalachia in the US, like this is not just a, a problem for people elsewhere. Um, wherever people don't have toilets, there, there are public health problems that result in chronic diarrhea in death for young children, um, especially, which is like, you know, it's, it, what does it mean if we have a, a public health crisis we can't talk about because it, it revolves around diarrhea. It means that we talk about malnutrition. It means we talk about dirty water. Um, but we don't talk about 
about the role of poop and toilets in this. And so we don't really have an understanding. And, and that's like the bigger bullseye here is that if we can't love our shit, which is like happening to each one of us, you know, and, and see the world, not just in that, um, infinitely furcated, if that's a word way, um, but really understand that, like, I understand in our bodies, in our hearts, in our, in our mouths and through our, through our butts that, like, we are intricately connected to this world. We are the world. It's happening through us and we're intricately connected to all the other beings on this world. And that's why all this matters. Um, and so if we can't talk about it, then, like, we can't get ourselves closer to that world where we're able to live in a sustainable way with our environment, where we're able to care not not only for our neighbors far away, but starting with ourselves. And that's like also about all of us really thinking about the way we poop and how we neglect it, you know, self-care, love, like it always has to start with ourselves. And so, so I feel like that in, in our own homes is like just loving our bodies, loving that home and being okay with, with the poop. Cause if you're okay with poop, then like you're going to be much more okay with the pimple that happens where you don't want it. And, the hair that's growing or not growing, the, you know, the body being whatever it is, and eventually getting old, getting sick and dying. Like we come from the earth and we go to the earth and the dew is our daily dirt. Hmm. Um, so there you go. That's my life story <laughs> and why poop matters. Um, <laughs> and I'm sure I could talk at more length about any of those things. That was, that was quite a, that was, that was quite a, that, that was a one man show. I don't know what to say. After we finished talking about why Sean thought that poop was a topic worthy of greater attention, I asked him about a concept that he introduced to me, that of defecatory justice, though I misremembered the phrase and I called it poop justice. Uh, that led us to an extended conversation about defecatory justice, queerness, gender, and liberating discourse. I guess the surface story that you talk about is one about sustainability, one about, um, I guess the, the way that you had put it when I we talked last was in terms of like uh like poop justice. Can I answer or just address what you just said briefly? Sure. Yeah. Which is the, the term is, um, that I've inherited is a uh, defecatory justice. Defecatory that's, justice. That's it. Um, Sarah Nehar, yeah. who, uh, coined that term. And yes, um, the, yes, they're just, yeah, exactly. <laughs> there is definitely this element. And, and I would also go so far as to say like, whose bodies are marginalized, the civil right. rights, uh, era saw lots of stories about locker rooms that were integrated in workplaces or bathrooms that were integrated and, and, and fights around that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the history as, you know, as relating to back in Victorian era, like the history of who had public toilets. It was not, this was not something that was afforded to women, which meant that you couldn't leave the house. You mm-hmm. can't pee and you can't afford a carriage where you can relieve yourself privately. And it's no longer, um, appropriate for you to relieve yourself on the street, then like you need a bathroom. And right. if you don't have that, you can't go outside. So that's also linked to people who need, um, assistance, you know, uh, ADA accessible bathrooms, uh, caregivers, um, you know, gender nonconforming and trans folk. And, and also that single stalls affect way more people than that. And I would, would also say, um, this is something I've been thinking about more recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, Professor Daniel Gering at Gerling at Augustana University has done his research around um, poop as an element of colonialization in, yeah. in U.S., in Cuba and in Puerto Rico. And in, you know, in, in really, again, in this way of like where the bourgeois body politic was placed onto each of us, it's so basic to what we do. If you want to, um, 
break down a culture or reshape a culture. You know, it's like, what is the food we eat? What is the stuff we drink? What are the stories we tell and the dances we dance? And how do we poop? Um, anyway, I just want to get that in. Well, no, no. So I, I think you've actually identified the question I was trying to inarticulate ask at that moment. So yeah, I want you to speak more about that. Like, thinking about the, the sort of the justice elements. And I was also going to ask something about, right? Uh, I think you also hit at talking about trans folks and single stop bathrooms, but just thinking about, right, as a metaphor, thinking about queerness and how we approach queerness and the way we have conversations about queerness. Mm, I mean, poop is so queer. It's so queer. And I really, and queer is the right word for that because it's, it's, um, because when I say that word personally, which, which is a word I would identify, I, I guess I would also identify as a gay man, but mm-hmm. I would say, but queer is the term I feel more comfortable with. Um, and it's because of the bigger umbrella that I feel like fits under that. And so for me, when I say queer and that poop is queer, I think about, um, all the people I've met over the 10 years I've been doing this work who are engaged in this. And it's all, and like, A, there are just a lot of people who are in, uh, or attracted to folks of their same gender or all along that spectrum. Um, and I think some of that maybe is because like, we're all thinking about the body in a more critical way. Um, and, and already, and culture is already objectifying us based on our bodies and the choices we make with our bodies, um, in how we engage with other bodies. Um, but also because it includes like burlesque dancers who do hula hooping acts in Australia. And, um, that's the first thing that comes to mind and other just like kind of interesting, kinky, artisty, weirdo types, um, yeah. who are attracted to this. And I, yeah, I think I go back to this holy jester thing in a way, and um, I was just reading a text from Shogyam Trungpa Rinpoche, who is a problematic character for sure. The this is the a Tibetan um, monk and teacher who started the Shambhala movement in the U.S., which has seen a lot of problems around um, uh, sexual inappropriateness and alcohol mm. abuse and like other issues. So there are many ways in which I'm, I want to call out that shit and be like, I'm not, I'm not standing a hundred percent behind Chogim Trumpu and Bishay. And he wrote a lot of very wise things. There's a reason a lot of people followed him and, you know, continued to read his teachings. Um, and there was this text I, I came back across today where he talks about, um, oh my gosh, I have it open right now. Um, it's from his book, Meditation in Action. And it's the chapter is called the manure of experience. Yeah. Um, it is said if if you you mind if I read the passage? No, 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 please. Not too long. It is said, I think, in the Lankavatara Sutra that unskilled farmers throw away their rubbish and buy manure from other farmers, but those who are skilled go on collecting their own rubbish in spite of the bad smell and the unclean work. And when it is ready to be used, they spread it on their land, and out of this they grow their crops. Mm-hmm. That is the skilled way. In exactly the same way, the Buddha says, which we could translate that word, this is my interjection, to mean like Buddha, a Buddha is anyone who has, um, be, who has awakened, who has become enlightened to see things as they are. Um, so in exactly the same way, says a person like that, those who are unskilled will divide clean from unclean, right? So unskilled will divide clean from unclean and will try to throw away samsara, which is suffering, um, and clinging, and they'll search for nirvana. Uh, for bliss. But those who are skilled bodhisattvas, people who are, um, uh, this is a Tibetan term for people who are vowing, uh, to come back again and again, be reincarnated until everyone has become a, a Buddha. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But so the skilled bodhisattvas will not throw away desire and the passions and so on, but they will first gather them together. That is to say, one should first recognize and acknowledge them and study them and bring them to realization. So the skilled bodhisattva will acknowledge and accept all these negative things. Um, and this time he really knows that he has all these terrible things in him. And although it is very difficult and unhygienic, as it were, to work on, that is the only way to start. And then he will scatter them on the field of, of Bodhi. I'm no, I don't know what that means, actually. But something <laughs> about enlightenment. Yeah. Um, having studied all these things, when the time is right, they will scatter them and use them as manure. So I think I, I'm reading this because it's to say that like people who, who have to come out as anything, people who are living inside of strong, so to speak, identities, we are often forced to be strong, right? It's not that we essentially are, but we are, we're doing something we are we we must live our lives in ways that go against the counterculture and that requires a strength it requires an um an inner knowing and it requires um a real inner questioning you know we i think we get to burn some of our own baggage in that way and that's how we get the strength to come out and be like this is who i am you know so, so the 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 other story around poop is that i was a kid who held my poop in and um was really ashamed about it. Didn't want anybody to know that I pooped. I was like, I would poop in the house, but um, not all the time. And if I was away when nature called, you know, at school, at um, in a mall, whatever, then I would hold it in. And as you know, probably, or you or your listener knows from from most likely having a butt or having once had an anus, if you have a, a stoma now, which is, you know, possible, um, then like when nature calls, you you have two choices. You can answer and relieve yourself, be relieved. And, um, because it's a relief to let it out or you can hold it in, in which case, like if it's an urgent thing, she'll make that known. And if not, she goes away. And then when you get home, she's not necessarily going to be waiting for you, you know, and she might come back when you're also not in a convenient place. And if you neglect her again, then she just like stays in your colon and she gets harder and harder because the colon sucks out water. Um, and then when it's finally time to poop, you're really, it's going to be a lot harder for you. Uh, and this was a cycle I would put myself into a lot as a kid. Um, and I think a lot of that was linked to my own body shame around poop. It was linked to negative reinforcement when, you know, when constipation, it may have started because constipation happened on its own or from my diet. And then I clogged the toilet. Uh, and then, you know, I was, that's like not a fun thing. Nobody likes to clean up a toilet that's clogged and overflowing. And I was five or six, so it wasn't going to be me, you know, and the grownups in my house were not happy about that. So to prevent it from happening again and prevent their anger with the situation with me, then I, I held it in. But I would say also, I was like a really femme kid. And I mean, like, I'm not that masculine a man, you know, but I was very much a femme kid. Um, uh, and and so I think shit is really aligned with the masculine. You know, if anyone there's there's some um, cartoon I came across recently that I had posted and, and wasn't sure about, like made some commentary on when I posted it mm -hmm. of um, of a cartoon. Uh, you know, it's a cartoon with two panels, and it was how girls poop and how boys poop, or how they fart. Excuse me, how okay. girls fart and how boys fart. And the girls, it was Elsa from Frozen, and the girl part was her clutching her hands to her chin and her, you know, her elbows in. And she's saying, conceal, don't feel. And then, you know, the boy side, she's like throwing her arms back. Her cape is blowing in the wind. Let it go. And I think like, this is, this is true in the stories we tell yeah. ourselves that pooping is okay for boys. If it's okay. And it's not okay for girls. And if girls, you know, to use this binary, 
um, if people were more masculine, more masculine, that's a hybrid <laughs> word. Um, if more masculine, feminine, oh boy. If more feminine identified people are, are like talking about pooping and farting, then that's iconoclastic. You know, it's like, they're they're stronger in their femininity, but it's it's rebellious against the story we tell around femininity. So so I think also like having the poop not go down, right? Poop is like being shoved in my face metaphorically. My my masculinity won't disappear, but I also don't know what to do with it. And um and I think in some ways this exacerbated the the challenges that I felt around poop. So I would hold it in and um and and Eventually, I figured out that if I would to just poop all the time, I would be okay. Eventually, I realized that I had to if if I if I got the urge to to answer nature's call, if nature called and I answered, then mm. and I just pooped, then like I could prevent this problem from being a cycle. But at this point, I had you know so much trauma and psychology confusion wrapped around it that mm-hmm. um, I just couldn't always do that. And and if some I was in a new situation or scared. You know, if I was out in public and not at home, then like I would clench up. And so, um, this continued to a like, uh, shame, uh, embarrassingly, um, grown age till I was, uh, a freshman in high school. And that the summer after my freshman year, I did a study abroad in Spain. I was out of the country for the first time abroad. I was without my parents and my family for four weeks. And, and so I, like old habits came in, old coping mechanisms. And I, um, and I, and I held it in and held it in for like, I don't know. It might have been a week. It was, it was a long time. And when I finally went to poo, of course, it was like this gigantic log. And I had to do the last thing I wanted to do, which was go to, um, Maria Teresa, my host mother and say like, Maria Teresa, lo siento. I'm sorry. There's, um, una problema muy grande, um, in el baño. And, and she came and like, and, you know, hail, hail Mother Mary. There was a, there was such a, a kindness and a gentleness in addition to a like, wow, you know, like that came out of you. Um, <laughs> that, that she's like, we're just going to pour water on this and let it go. And mm-hmm. I think, and, and like, you have to poop all the time. And this was one of the first, I, I think to my memory, really frank conversations that I had about this, you know, and like this from a kid who, who, whose poop would, who would like accidentally you know, let some out while trying to hold it back in his underwear and bury it in his, under his bed. And then like his parents would sometimes discover it. Right. But like, we didn't really talk about it. They didn't know how to deal with it. I didn't know how to deal with it. And so we couldn't address the problem. Um, and what I discovered in this process was that like, if we, when we deal with it, then we can, when we address it, then we can deal with it. We can liberate it. And the thing that was shameful is not shameful anymore. I think this was, I'm going back to like why this is a queer issue. Um, because when we, when we wrestle with the thing that that is perceived by others to be shameful and come out of it saying, I'm not ashamed, then we disempower that. This might be a good spot to end this episode. As a quick review, Sean Schaffner and I spoke about a number of topics. One, the importance of being more attentive to infrastructure related to pooping and sewers as being areas where there are disparities across lines of class. Two, the concept of defecatory justice and how there's disparities in regards to access to bathrooms dependent on gender and disability. And three, the parallels between being better at talking about poop and being better at talking about queerness. Next episode, we'll return to the conclusion of the conversation that I had with Sean Schaffner. Thank you for listening to Just Sustainability. 
If you've enjoyed what you heard, please support this podcast by subscribing and leaving a review. Just Sustainability is recorded with the support of the Institute in the Environment at the University of Minnesota. In particular, I want to thank Peter Levin and Beth Mercer-Taylor for all their help with this show. All the music on Just Sustainability is composed and recorded by Clifton Nesseth, and all the artwork was created by Kristen Nesseth. Thank you again for listening.